Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs and the Game Card. I'm joined as usual by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, when this goes out, it's going to be the partridge season. We're recording at the end of August, but this will go out at the beginning of September. Very exciting, isn't it? Have you seen any? Uh, well, we've got a few wild birds on the on the farm. You know, we've had a few broods around, which is really nice. They sort of whir away across the stubble when you're walking the dog or whatever, which is great. I've had a lot of messages saying that, you know, there's quite a lot of people talking about the number of wild birds around. I'm sure it won't make a hugely meaningful difference, but it's quite encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how many of them we get managed to get over the guns come October, which is when I think we've got our first day. Whose job is that in your family? Well, this is an interesting point. <laughs> we've got one of those shoots that has many leaders oh right so, so, so they... my dad my dad thinks he's in charge my brother is theoretically in charge my mum is actually in charge and this year we've got a, a chap called jason who's doing some uh some work on the farm who's also done some gamekeeping in the past and i think he'll think he's in charge as well so we'll find out <laughs> one thing's for certain is i'm not in charge <laughs> we're gonna look forward to the update after your first day then hey but uh but but talking of birds around uh i saw a, a message in our slack channel the other day that uh you've turned your home into a game farm <laughs> yes so um emboldened by the successful hatching of three chicken eggs earlier this summer uh which i got because i had three batches of chickens um foxed at 30 quid a bird or whatever it was and i thought it was too expensive so i bought some eggs off ebay and three out of the six hatched so i thought i've got this nailed so i then ordered some <laughs> so i then ordered some white pheasant eggs from ebay about a month or so ago not really expecting any of them to hatch at all and i ordered six seven turned up which immediately made me suspicious of how successful it was going to be anyway one hatched <laughs> you've got one white pheasant one white pheasant named barry white obviously um (laughs) is this going down on the shoot well the the initial idea was that i'd sort of slip them into the pens without my brother knowing um so that you know some white pheasants came out as a bit of a surprise the trouble i'm having is that my wife seems to have decided that this is now a house pheasant i was about to say you've done the you've made that error already of naming it you if in the moment you name something it's game over isn't it (laughs) so yeah she's carrying it around the house like it's a child if someone shoots that i i (laughs) remind me not to be around the day that well it's actually i borrowed a system of fines because if if barry does end up on the shoot which i think (laughs) is going to be an interesting conversation between my wife and i um i don't want his life to be in vain so i've borrowed something from richard crofts their um their their system of fines at bettis yeah which is if you shoot at it and miss you pay a fine Mm mm-hmm if you shoot at it and kill it, everyone else pays a fine. And if you don't shoot at it, you pay a fine. So ultimately, you, you know, you, the best thing for you as a gun is that you're the one to take down Barry White. So Barry could earn quite a lot of money for charity by the end of his yeah, days. Yeah, it all goes to the GWCT. Um, <laughs> so what I'd really like is for somebody to miss him on the first three days or, and yeah. and I, I also thought, you know, if you're the neighbouring gun, like, birds never go directly over one gun, right? So if you're one to the right or one to the left and you don't put your gun up, I'm fining you. But the thing is, you know, if Barry gets through the season, he could actually present the check to the GWCT for the amount of money <laughs> raised of him being shot at. 
<laughs> oh goodness me yes um i mean i've got to keep the damn thing alive until then um and he's doing his anyway. level best to kill himself at the moment he keeps jumping out of his box i found him in the sink the other day that's a pheasant <laughs> yeah so i've reinforced his his quarters right enough of that chris who's joining us today so today we have a British Olympic trap shooter who has been competing at top level since she was 17. Uh, she's now also the owner of the Shotgun and Chelsea Bunk Club, which a lot of you will be aware of, which is, a, if you aren't, it's a ladies shooting club. She's a qualified shooting instructor who teaches all different levels of shot. She won the sport category at the Women of the Future Awards for her contribution to, to the shooting sport uh, with her achievements receiving recognition nationwide through media coverage, including articles in The Telegraph and interviews on BBC Sport. She's a very active ambassador for getting women into shooting and has also appeared on a Sky TV series, which I want to ask her about in a minute. A very warm welcome to Georgina Roberts. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem at all. It's great to have you with us. Here, here. Yeah. So are we going to ask about Sky TV now, Chris? I think we should. Yeah, because I, ha- I have to admit, I haven't actually watched it yet, although I have seen a clip. And so just go on, Georgie, tell us about this one. I really struggled to watch it back. I'm not going to lie. I watched it through <laughs> gritted teeth with a pillow covering my face. <laughs> uh, it was a brilliant day. They are very, very highly entertaining. This is Rob Beckett and Ramesh Ranganathan for their their show where they do going around sort of competing against sort of other activities and various different things in life. So they did a um, Robin Romesh versus Team GB and they took on, you know, diving with Tom Daly and they took on um, like shot put and heptathlon with Denise Lewis. So I had a real fangirl moment when they were on the same episode as as Aaron Heading and I. (laughs) Amazing. That filming was incredible. They are so funny in as much in real life as they are on TV. But some of the comments were a little bit not safe for TV. As that episode, we were trying to demonstrate the benefits of an an Olympic sport. Obviously, Aaron was just off to Tokyo and um, they had to edit a lot of the content out to make it safe for TV and public (laughs) consumption. Um, But it was so much fun, so much fun. It's like this podcast, we have to cut enormous amounts of filth. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, it's great to have you with us, Georgina. Um, Why don't we start things off for real and ask, what's that you're drinking? Uh, I'm actually drinking a gin and tonic. It's been a hard day's training, but I've got a day off tomorrow, so it's definitely safe at this time of the day. Oh, very good. Which, Which gin have you got? That's a good question. I actually don't. It's a random one. It's one I've never heard of. It's three wrens. Three wrens. I'm Googling. <laughs> Chris is a bit of a gin hound these days. He's got all excited about it. It's it's only because by the time you've done however many episodes we've done, you kind of have to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so three wrens is a gin, a gin distillery in Cheshire. The spirit of Cheshire, they say. Interesting. Mm, they do rum as well, all sorts. Looks lovely. How does it taste? Beautiful. Nicely complimented by an elderflower tonic. Oh, very good. George, what have you got? No prizes for guessing. I'm on uh, single malt scotch whiskey again. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about having a glass of rosé, but it's actually turned out to be slightly chillier today than I was expecting. So I've I've gone back to what I know. Uh, so I'm drinking Avalau single malt scotch whiskey. 
uh, and it's delicious as always. How many times have you had that on the pod? Oh, lots, lots that's, and lots. You know, you know that's not the aim of the game, George. Yeah, I know, but honestly, I'd have, I would have to start expensing the whiskies if I was buying new ones specifically so that I could have a different one on each podcast. I would love to have seen you with a glass of rosé because it's just so different to what I'm used to that I think that's the route you've got to go down now. Okay, next time I'll bring a glass of rosé then. And when you say it's not warm enough, I know this summer's been rather ridiculous. We've just sort of dropped down to the boring heights of 23 degrees, which is now like not enough for you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Arctic. (laughs) Um, Well, I've I've gone different as well this week. Uh, I always have beers or gin and tonics, really. And this week, I have got a staple. I've got a glass of Good Ordinary Claret, which is a Berry Brothers own label red. And if you haven't had any of the Berry's own label stuff, they do a Good, good Ordinary Claret, Good Ordinary White, uh, Extraordinary Claret, which is really good. Really good, actually. Really good value for money. And a whole bunch of other ones like White Burgundy, which is another favorite of us, just a, a drinking wine at home. Anyway, so Good Ordinary Claret is what I've got. Very enjoyable. Nice, decent chunk of it as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Big old bucket full. (laughs) Great. Right. So, Georgina, this next segment is the segment we call Whose Bird Is It Anyway? And it's where we ask our listeners to send in their shooting dilemmas and quandaries and queries and all that sort of thing. And we do our level best to offer them some helpful advice. Critics would say that we very rarely achieve that. But I think we can have a pretty good stab at this one. We always keep our our correspondents anonymous. Uh, So this one comes from somebody I've decided to call Ebenezer. And he asks, I wonder what you would do in this circumstance. I was invited by a friend of mine to join a 200 bird day shooting nine guns on a shoot new to me that, as it happens, was only about 25 minutes from home. Having happily committed and paid my 50% deposit up front, I received an email from one of the other guns who is organizing the day, saying that he decided to have only eight guns in the line and that it had turned into a 250 bird day. A double whammy on the money front with no suggestion that he was doing anything other than demanding the extra cash rather than asking if the other seven guns were happy. Not knowing the shoot captain well, I'm struggling to know how to address my frustration. Should I say anything? Ouch. So let's do some quick maths to understand the implications of this because he's talking about a double whammy on the money front. So if he's shooting a 200 bird day with nine guns, that using the census average of 45 plus fat for this year, okay, that's, yeah. that's, that's 1,200 quid a peg. Right. Uh, Are you doing this in your head? Always. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this correspondence and I made some prior notes just to make sure that I could, because this is, this on the, on the, on the face of it, oh, just, we're just going to shoot one less gun and we we'll just shoot a few more birds. Sounds fine, right? But if you move to eight guns and you increase the bag to 250, that's 1,687 pounds per peg. So this guy has sent him an email saying, please pay up another 500 quid without any thought. So that's what he's essentially saying is his quandary, which is, I don't know him too well. I'm struggling to know what to do. He's asked for an extra 500 quid and I don't really feel comfortable with that. I could totally understand his issue. Yeah. Georgina, what do you think? I, I, yeah, for me, I think it depends how badly 
you want to shoot that day depends on the location of it and how how long you've waited to shoot there I guess but I would say that 500 pounds is quite substantial step with no correspondence I mean I'm an OT shooter so we moan at any like if you want to put up a round of Olympic trap by a pound a round that is a huge step for us and that's a lot of commitment to keep <laughs> shooting so for someone to ask 500 quid um without any emails is you know is a bit steep yeah actually that's a good point so I know next to nothing about competitive clay shooting but when you're training how many rounds will you do in a day and what's the cost of doing one of those rounds um it very much depends on where you are in your cycle um so for example i'm off to the world championships in the end of september and before then my my training cycle is um two weeks of technical work two weeks of volume work and one week of tapering so in my two weeks of technical work I might be shooting um, five or six rounds of 25 targets a day in volume I might be looking at 10 to 12 rounds per day and in tapering I'd probably be looking at you know two or three rounds a day um, prior to leaving for the world championships so the costs do rack up pretty quickly because I'm probably shooting four or five days per week at the moment prior to those championships goodness me so, so when they send you an email, just sticking the price up, you you reply back saying, "Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. <laughs> do you mind? Do you know what we are? We are quite fortunate in that um, the ground that I I do train at have been incredibly supportive, and they do do a lot for me and cover a lot of costs for me. So that's at uh, Nut Hamster Shooting Ground, which is where I'm at now. But yeah, I think most grounds are looking at about nine pound, nine pound fifty around for or for twenty five clays at the moment. So, okay, I can see how that racks up and you're doing it regularly. So with this guy here, if he's just had, let's assume he's not got many days in the diary, like a lot of people this year, and he's had one email saying, hand over another 500 quid. George, what would, what would you do? Well, you you don't want to give up the day, do you? That's like... Well, the, you da- you the just... danger is you're going to lose that team for good if you just dish in the town well, there's, there, there's that but equally you know it could work you know the average number of days that people buy according to the census is quite small yeah. uh you know um so you know it could be his one or you know one of two or three days he's got this year you don't want to be losing you know 100 or or 50 percent of your shooting for the year but equally 500 quid is a lot of money so i think you're gonna to have to do something clever I think something like replying and saying, gosh, that's incredibly generous of you. <laughs> Thank you ever so much. How can I ever repay you? <laughs> to which he won't know what to do. Because <laughs> wording the reply to that's very tricky. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> The thing is, I I think there's a lot of people that do this to their mates and maybe don't realise there's people like Ebenezer here uh, who don't maybe respond how the person wording the email might have expected. Because I actually, I'm fairly certain my dad's done this to his mates when he just sort of gets carried away and thinks, right, guys, we're uh, just going to shoot a few more, and no, and so and so hasn't turned up, so we'll just we'll just share that amongst ourselves. And 
he's thinking oh i've i've pre-decided that in my head i'm fine with that but the other guns haven't <laughs> and he hasn't asked them i'm fairly certain he's done that and so i don't reckon whoever's done this to ebenezer here is the first person at all i reckon this happens all the time but it is awkward isn't it it's a big deal yeah yeah i mean it really is and i think I think like sensible advice, I think the thing to do is to, you know, get in touch with your mate who invited you and say, you know, what do you think about all this? And maybe canvas one or two of the other guns and see how they're feeling about it just quietly. Yeah. And then, so, you know, have a word with the shoot captain and say, look, this is a little bit more than we'd budgeted for. Can we either find a ninth gun or drop the bag down and, you know, try and meet in the middle somewhere? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? You need to find out the motivations of the guy organising it. Like, if he just wants to shoot a bigger day and his mates and the other people don't, then that that's an issue. But if you're on your own here and all the other guns have already agreed this because you're new to this group of guns, then, yeah, you've got to go and find a mate who'll take your place <laughs> or stump up. Well, or actually, maybe you could find someone to share your peg with you if they'd let you do that. Could do. Because, you know, 125 bird days perfectly adequate isn't it so this is all very sensible advice because which is unlike us but but to be <laughs> i do feel for him though it's a tricky one and and with prices going up it's i can see this happening more and more and getting more and more awkward so i'm glad he's kind of said it yeah yeah it's a it's you know a weirdly useful bit of public service broadcasting that we've just done I feel like we should offer him an alternative as well I mean George I think you should offer him the original price and Barry well I'm not sure about that (laughs) I mean but maybe (laughs) if 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 Barry becomes a even more uh valuable member of the family his price is going to go up significantly he might be the most expensive pheasant in the country (laughs) (laughs) according to your wife yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah, well, look, I mean, I'd quite like to know how Ebenezer gets on, if I'm honest. Um, And I'm sure there's others who've been in this situation who've had differing outcomes. Uh, So it's one to let us know, please. Yes. Right, let's move on. Chris, what's the unpopular opinion this week? So, yeah, we've we've had one that I'm going to tell you now is a bit of a rant. Uh, And it's from someone that uh, George has called Edna who writes, are sim days, which are the route into game shooting for a lot of new guns looking to progress from clay to game, encouraging poor etiquette and manners when crossing over to driven shooting? So that's the question which they've laid out, which is their opinion. But then it comes with a whole load of opinion attached to it. and And I'll share this with you. I feel they might be encouraging an unrealistic expectation of what a day shooting is for the average person. Point number one, you're unlikely on a game day to shoot a slab of shells to a gun, which seems to be about the standard amount for a sim day. In the context of a game day, my workings are of a four to one ratio, making that 62.5 birds to a gun times by a team of eight equals a 500 bird day, which isn't what the average new gun would be doing. I also think that it could be encouraging poaching. It can be a bit of fun when shooting peg next to someone you know well to pinch the odd bird that flies over their peg. I completely agree with this as a bit of fun, but it very much depends on the relationship with the fellow gun and the type of shoot you're on. There's a lot of points coming, by the way. On a small day, you could rob someone of their only shot of the day, and small days are exactly where quite a few new entrants find themselves. 
encourages shooting everything put over a gun and no selection, be it too low, a pillow casing or out of range shots. An excess of drink seems to be creeping into the day. I've got a very someone who's not a fan of sim shooting possibly an unpopular opinion itself a bit of a drink during the day isn't a problem but i've seen a few days that have been treated as an all-day session with a bit of shooting thrown in which is a not safe b no good for the reputation of our sport enjoy your day then get into the pub for a session possibly worst of all i've seen a small section that seemed to whoop and holler during a day shooting even while standing on a peg we're not American as far as I'm aware. Stone Island haven't branched out into a range of matching tweed shooting suits and you're not attending Millwall away or on a stag or a Hindu. Have some manners in capital letters. <laughs> All of that said, sim days are great fun and I appreciate new entrants to our sport are vital to its future. However, are we just bringing in a new generation of arrogant, drunk, greedy sportsmen and women more interested in getting smashed and wearing all the latest Instagrammable must-have shooting uniforms. Ouch, wow. I feel, so- I feel sorry for his keyboard by the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. That was a lot of points. Yeah, you must have been on a few sim days. I have, yeah. None quite as bad as that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think... Edna here. Edna, I can't decide if Edna's male, fe- male or female. It sounds like a female. Anyway, George named Edna. Names are randomly assigned regardless of gender. So Edna here seems to have brought in every bad example he or she has ever seen on a day and, and brought it into one sort of suggestion of exactly this is how sh- simulated shooting always is, yeah. which I think is a bit unfair. <laughs> yeah, yes. I don't think they're doing doing it any justice at all. Um, it's tricky. Um, so I have seen some people on sim days who uh, don't particularly have any safe gun handling skills or control of the gun. And I think that they do or can encourage people who aren't particularly experienced into that kind of shooting. Because I think a, a lot of grounds and estates do offer sim days for um, you know novice or beginners people who are just getting into it if they have an instructor on the peg with them to make it safe which is absolutely fantastic but I think it's becoming increasingly more common that people will exaggerate their experience so they don't have to have a nanny on the stand with them and they look slightly better than they are to their friends who are accompanying them on the day I, I actually do think they're a good way of people getting into game shooting because there is a in my opinion, you know, coming from a, a clay shooting background, there is a big jump in between clay and game. And that is a way for people to segue into that. It's not always accurate, but when you're trying to take the next step into stuff like that, you can't always find something that's going to replicate it perfectly. As you say, though, that there is a big jump in between clay and game. I suppose the real question here is, does the average person going on a sim shoot understand the jump between a sim shoot and game? And and what Edna is saying here is that this is blowing the boundaries and it's causing lots of people to bring bad habits into game shooting. I, I don't know if that is actually the case. It, I suppose what she's saying or he or she is saying is that there is a risk of that happening. Yeah, but I think this comes back, I don't you think, to the conversation that we were having last episode about, you know, certificates of competence or that kind of thing where 
the point that Georgina makes is very valid, that actually the most important aspect here that isn't mentioned in this email is safety. Surprisingly, I think every other every other aspect of shooting has been analysed in this email. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does, does mention safety in, in relation to drinking, doesn't he? But, um, you know, sim days are meant to be a bit of fun. And I think that I I don't think I've ever come across anybody who's sort of been out on their first game day and has acted as if they're on a sim shoot. Maybe I've just been fortunate in that. But I think that by and large, it's just, uh, you know, most people are so excited to go on their first game day. They'll almost certainly have been reading every etiquette article that can be found online before it. And they'll have been asking their mate who's asked them to go along because it's normally an invitation because you don't drop 600 to 1200 quid on something without trying it first kind of thing. So I, I'm not convinced of this argument at all. Do you know what? Having initially felt like I was going to hound Edna for this opinion, I've just been thinking back to some days when I've joined groups of guns through, you know, maybe when I've been invited on a day through Guns on Pegs or something like that. And I'm thinking that there are quite a lot of people maybe lacking the etiquette that we might have had 10, 20 years ago. And that's causing me to wonder where that's come from. Yeah. What do you think about this hooping and hollering bit on the peg? I don't mind words on the peg. I think standing in silence is, I think it's, I think, I think uh, commending people like good shot and stuff like that. I think that's encouraged. Yes. Or indeed, why'd you miss that one, brother? (laughs) (laughs) Or dad, as the case may be. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't I think sort of commentating and shouting all the way through that I have seen that once on a game shoot and that's awful in my opinion. You know there was a there was a West Indian cricketer in like the 70s or 80s who used to commentate on himself batting just like <laughs> under his breath or when he's stroked that through the covers for four kind of used to drive the bowlers insane apparently. <laughs> I'd love to hear someone 25 yards away commentating on their own shooting. <laughs> hey, that's a podcast. We'll wire you for sound, Chris, next time you're shooting and you can give us a blow-by-blow account. <laughs> that was a cracking <laughs> shot. Yeah, <laughs> mine, mine would just be a long string of expletives. So, I don't... <laughs> so, so the main point here is like, uh, if you... If you're going to shoot loads and loads of shells on a day and just blaze away at everything flying over because they're clays, Edna is suggesting that people will then just go and treat those pheasants as clays when they arrive on a game day. Do we think that actually is happening? No, I, I don't think that does happen. Um, and I think that as long as you're going on a sim day and you know you're being you know informed and educated about the differences, because the sim days I've been on have been have been very clear about okay, it wouldn't be like this on the day this is what you could expect but this is what we're going to do today this is the order of the day and how it's going to be run i think that's fine as long as you are clear that again the etiquette is different and and i don't think that commentating on good shot or maybe not jumping up and down and and screaming and stuff like that is you know it would definitely put me off but i i don't think like that that stuff doesn't matter as much on sim days because it is a bit more of a fun and a more relaxed environment i think yeah and i think i think you're i think you're absolutely right and i think that the point if you then wind forward to the to the intro at the start of a game day, 
if you think about a shoot briefing on the morning of a game day versus a shoot briefing on the morning of a sim day, they're very different in tone, style, everything. Not necessarily deliberately, they just are. Because we're dealing with live quarry, there's lots of things that can go wrong. There's lots of effort that has to go in just to even give you some shooting in the first place. I think that naturally that social awareness from from guns comes across in therefore how they handle themselves on the peg. And I think if you're if you then treat that game day like a simulated day, you need to go and look at yourself in the mirror because you've completely missed some valuable words that have been imparted already for you to then act like that, I think. So I don't think this is, I think this is an unpopular opinion, but I think there is a risk of it happening with some individuals. Very diplomatic. <laughs> I've, cha- I've changed my tune from when I first read it just before we came on air where I was about to hop up and down. <laughs> yeah, so what was his initial premise was he did ask a question, didn't he? But then proceeded to answer it. Uh, our sim days encouraging poor etiquette and manners when crossing over to trim and shooting. Okay, so I would say they're not encouraging it. They're not going out there going, hey, you can go and do this when you go on a, on a, on a pheasant shoot. But it's important for people to understand that it is a different thing. I think the question's wrong. It should say causing instead of encouraging. Yeah. And I I agree. I think maybe it's important from an etiquette point of view on sim days, just to, as you said, Georgie, to point out, this is not quite what it would be like. You'd be more like this, but it's a different thing. It's totally different. I don't think we should be comparing them that much. <laughs> Good. Right. So unpopular. Yes. Yeah. Unpopular. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Right, Chris, have we got a shooting hero to talk about? We do. My shooting hero is probably similar to a fair few other people out there. My mother. This is the first mother we've had. It is. So this one comes from Max, who's nominated as mother. He says, we have a family shoot doing 10 to 15 days a season. We're going to pick that one up in a second, George. My mother not partaking in the actual shooting, beating, picking up, nor gamekeeping, but fulfilling, in my mind, a much more important role. In the morning, mum arrives at the lodge an hour before the guns to put on a full breakfast. Organisers 11s is made up of the previous shoots game for all the guns and the beaters. And then again in the afternoon, she lays on a full meal for all involved. She is more or less running a catering team of one throughout the season for nothing more than seeing the pure enjoyment on our family and friends' faces. I think a special thank you for all those included behind the scenes of the non-shooting aspect of the day is in order. As without these hidden heroes, the day itself would be nothing like it turns out to be. Here, here. Thank I mean, you, Max. what a brilliant email. Um, yes. How many Excellent. people have we seen out there like Max's mother? <laughs> well, mine uh, <laughs> has been doing it for at least 37 years, as far as I know. My sister-in-law has now taken over the reins for quite a lot of that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a hell, of a, a hell of a thing to do. Can we just scoot back to the beginning of that email, though, before we go too <laughs> full on in praise of mothers? Because I want to talk about this family shoot that does 15 days a year. <laughs> <laughs> Does Max have any sisters? Because I've got mates that definitely want to join this family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, George. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's a hell of a... They must have a hell of a place. But yeah, I mean, a very richly deserved shooting hero nomination, I think, or heroine, I suppose we should say. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. I, and Seriously, like, uh, my mum's been doing it for ages. 
my sister-in-law does it now they do an amazing job you know we don't do breakfast normally but you know coffees and teas and elevenses and lunch and there's a you know there's if you've got eight guns and they all bring another half of some description sometimes there's kids in tow mountains of washing up it doesn't just end when everybody goes home at the end of the day you know it's just you know it's it's a serious operation and yeah, hats off to anybody who's involved in doing that and i'm sure that it's not just like family shoots it's you know diy syndicates and all that kind of thing there's normally isn't there one person who takes it all on Absolutely. Georgie, there must be a fair few people on your clay circuit as well who you kind of see like this that are just always there helping out, doing their bit, just making the whole thing happen. Absolutely. So there's there's so many elements to all kinds of shooting that goes on behind the scenes that's never really applauded. And the, the effort is monumental. There's so many people, coaches, mentors, especially in clay shooting that really don't get the praise and the recognition that they deserve. So yeah, all mothers, fathers who take their kids around shooting as well, you know, they all deserve a, a serious round of applause. I, I imagine a lot of the roles in clay shooting are unpaid roles in a sense of just trying to help people get there. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many people um, within all kinds of shooting who are truly for the sport and they, they really do need to get some sort of recognition and, and even if there's someone to stand up in organizations and say okay today we're going to celebrate x y and z because they often don't get the thanks that they deserve because the effort put in is you know so great and for so little reward other than just doing their bit or as they perceive to be doing their bit for shooting yeah yeah chris said at the beginning you've been competing at the top level since you were 17 yeah. So I'm guessing that's a a lot of you know days in the car uh, for mum or dad taking you to the playground, you know probably helping you with some of your kit financially, all that yeah. stuff. You know, there's yeah. a hell of a lot that goes into it. Well, go go on, put put, put Georgie on the spot. Who's your shooting hero then, Georgie? Oh, do you know what? That is a it's such a good question. So in terms of the Olympics, I would probably go. Kimberly Road because she went to six games and got six medals and you can't really argue with that an Olympic standard and I've got to obviously give a shout out to a British hero although I would never ever say this to his face Peter Wilson obviously won Olympic gold on home turf and that is no mean feat so yeah to be able to to do that any in any country uh, that alone in GB would be an absolute dream so I'll, I will always look up to him for that. So thank you for Max for sending this one in. Yeah, I, I think it really resonates. I can I can picture a lot of instances of, I certainly I can picture a particular mate's mum handing out Elevens's sausages on the, on, the, on the little farm family shoot. And it's the way that she does it with the smile on her face and gets such enjoyment out of everyone having a really good time that actually makes for the day. It's like when someone's really enjoying what they're doing, it makes the whole day so much more fun. So yeah, a particularly unpraised element of the game day. So, so Max is going to get himself a pair of garters, isn't he, George? He is, and and so is Max's mother. Yeah, and also Ebenezer and Edna and you, Georgina, are all members of the most noble order of the garters, and will shortly be in receipt <laughs> of your very own sets of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. If you've got a shooting confession, a quandary or a query uh, that you'd like us and our guests to help you with, or if you've got an unpopular opinion uh, and you'd like a set of these garters, do drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. 
So a quick update on garters. Georgie, just to put a value on these garters for you, right? So last episode, we had a very emotional story, which I struggled to read out about a chap who sadly committed suicide and his mates had sent him in as as their nomination for a shooting hero. But the garters for the late Len Eden, who was the chap in question, were sent over to his mates. They had a charity auction just last weekend, soon after we recorded the pod. It's basically a fundraising event in his memory. And so they put his garters up for auction just to have Len's set of garters. And they raised 2,700 quid for Len's garters in the auction, uh, donating obviously a huge sum to some great causes. Unbelievable, isn't it? That's incredible. I got a message from Josh late that night and I, lit, I, was, I had such a smile on my face. It's just so amazing to see that happen. It is amazing, isn't it? And I think, you know, so not only then, I mean, just to, to sort of be a bit facetious about it, not only are these the most highly sought after garters in the world i would suggest they're definitely <laughs> definitely the most expensive <laughs> except except for maybe marilyn monroe's garters different type but <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm just i'm just waiting now for for one of the you know big fancy gum brands to bring out their you know three thousand quid garters in their next collect- collection <laughs> you know with gold with gold thread in them or something uh, Georgie, can we can we can we uh, request that these garters make their way in your bag to to the next major shooting event? Yeah, absolutely. And then have a little photo. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. I'll I'll definitely try and take some wellies with me as well, so they're not trainers. Yeah. <laughs> garters, no garters and trainers in a competitive <laughs> clay shoe. I li- I like this. This is something that could catch on. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So, George, George, we've got one last job for you. We've got the final bottle. We've been giving away a few of these bottles of Tim Maddams's excellent elderberry porth um, to award the best letter. And you've got to choose uh, who it's going to be. So which of the correspondents? Is it Max about his shooting hero, his mother? Is it Edna about the particular rant about sim days? Or is it Ebenezer for the person who's who's been put in a predicament over funds to do with the day, which which was your most enjoyable bit of correspondence? Do you know what? Although I did enjoy listening to the rants, I have to say that it's got to be the unsung heroes. It's got to go to Max and his mum. Okay, I agree with you. So do I. Good. It's quite difficult not to give it to, un- to, the, to the heroes part of this segment, isn't it? Because it's the most heartfelt. Yeah. But uh, so... A, a bottle of Tim Maddams's Elderberry Porth, which is very good, is going to head to Max, and they can enjoy it on one of their ten to fifteen family days this year. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, that will be over in the post very soon. And also, if you want to get your hands on a bottle of Tim's uh, Elderberry Porth, go to just Google it, Elderberry Porth, and then put in Maddams for free, and you'll get free postage on it. Links in the description. Excellent. Right. So, Georgina. Hello. We've touched on it a little bit but I thought it'd be interesting just to get a little bit of background on your route into shooting from you know childhood to where you are now how did you get into shooting in the first place so my dad is a farmer he's an agricultural contractor he has always had a background in shooting but like when he was trying to teach me how to drive obviously teenage girl absolutely knew better even though she'd never picked up a gun in her life 
Um, so that went downhill very quickly. But he did take me to a charity day um, over in Cheshire. And it meant I could have a day off school. So of course, I went. And the lady who was running the beginner stand, the lady called Katie Cowell, and she was there with her dad, Royston. And for someone who had done very, very little, she and her dad thought I was okay. And I had some natural talent. And they invited me to one of Katie's training days. I absolutely fell in love with shooting. I mean, I was a fangirling because she was shooting for GB. She was, you know, wearing her kit on the day when I met her. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to refrain from asking her for a photo because that's really embarrassing. But it was a real pinch me moment that someone wearing a GB uniform thought I possibly had something. And I mean, you know, reflecting back on that day, obviously, there's not very many young women who get involved with the shooting sport, especially in, you know, teenage years. So I, I know for them, it was like an opportunity to introduce someone else. But honestly, it got me hook, line and sinker. I absolutely fell in love with it. And her dad took me under his wing and, you know, introduced me to all the right people, took me to all the right competitions. And, you know, from that day, I think it was six months before I got my first Welsh cap. And then within the year, I got my first GB cap as a junior. So it was a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, hold on. So, so, so six months from not picking up a gun yeah. to competing at that level. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Very impressive. So, so that the, they could tell straight away that you clearly knew which way around to hold a gun. Yeah, um, they did obviously tell me not, not. Yeah, don't don't hold the metal and you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so I think for them, they saw I did have um, like a, a natural talent. But I think, in in comparison now, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't have the natural ability of people like Nathan Hales and Steve Scott annoyingly but I do have the drive and the resilience to work bloody hard at what I want to do and what I want to achieve again I'm going to mention Peter Wilson um this I will tell him to his face Peter is probably one of the most unnatural shots I've ever seen in my life he's got no natural talent but he will work so so hard at you know perfecting his skill and that's why he was untouchable um and so I'm lucky that I do have kind of a little bit of both but I think that they saw natural talent and then I was able to give it 110% and really commit myself to it which helped me get into it absolutely so so what I'm thinking here is there's probably people listening to this I'm imagining here sort of partners of maybe people that have forced their partner to listen to this podcast and they're sitting in the car driving wherever right and they've probably not really shot before but they could turn up to a shooting ground and find themselves in a similar position to you where someone goes, hold on a second, you're pretty handy. And then six mm-hmm. months later, they're shooting at that level. And you're yeah. essentially, say, I imagine, saying to people, just go and give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. Because you never know until you give it a go. And, you know, some people do find um, the idea of shooting unnerving if if they've never done it before. You know, it makes a loud noise and you know, you've watched those horrible videos on Facebook of someone pulling the trigger and dropping the gun or throwing themselves backwards, those horrific WhatsApp group videos that people always send around. And that's really not what the the sport is about. You know, you can get involved with shooting at any age, 
and you don't have to be naturally talented you can just work hard at it um, but you can you know people as young as six and seven with adult supervision can you know plink away with an air rifle you know in Wales we've got people in their 80s who are shooting for our super vets team you know there is something for everybody you can have stag do's hen do's and corporate do's anything you know in between and you can find yourself at the olympic games if you're if you do work hard at it so if there is anyone that can persuade you know their other half to come with them to a play shoot please pick up the gun and please have a go because it you know you will fall in love with it the adrenaline will kick in the adrenaline rather and you will find yourself just wanting to break clay after clay after clay this could be the most expensive episode anyone's ever listened to. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's, you make a really good point. Well, both of you make good points there, actually. Like, um, my wife is fairly resistant to shooting. She's had a couple of goes. She's done some clays here and there, but it took a bit of persuading. Chris, I think I'm right in saying that Flo's not all that bothered no, either. Which, which I quite like in a way. We talk about it all the time. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I think there there is there's an undeniable imbalance. You know, five percent of the people who respond to the game shooting census are female. I think it's about five same number, same sort of uh, proportion in terms of shotgun license ownership. So where has this imbalance come from? And do you feel like there's any, what can be done? I guess to to address it. And like, is there anything that blokes can do about it, or would we better be better off just? keeping our noses out <laughs> blokes can do everything to change a narrative around it so yes it, actually with the latest home office statistics that have come out um whilst the overall number of shotgun licenses having been renewed or uh, you know applications in general has gone down the amount of women who have got theirs has remained consistent which is actually quite an achievement in itself um we are growing very very slowly and whilst i would like you know at levels of participation to increase rapidly it's a you know it's a, a long game we've got to play and so we do have to think about it carefully um and you know shooting as a platform is relatively small in comparison to other sports and other industries so we do have to do as much as we can to you know widen the reach um you know approach different platforms speak to different outlets who aren't targeting people who already shoot because there's so many people who will tell me, oh, you know, congratulations, you're doing so much for your sport. You're writing for different um, uh, publications and things like that. But all of the publications I write for, I'm preaching to the converted. They already shoot. We need to get out there and talk to people who have no background. They might not have any family who are involved with shooting. Um, I know that was my route into it. All the people I know picked it up from their dad or their granddad or someone that they know. Um, and so we really need to target those people who have got no, you know, prior association to the sport in any capacity. You know, all of the blokes that do currently shoot, whether that's game or clay, if every bloke brought one female with them, whether that's their mum, their sister, their daughter, their wife, their girlfriend, you know, and even if, you know, 10%, 1% of those women, you know, had to go and loved it. What a massive achievement for our sport that we've got not only so many more people trying it and getting involved with it and who have actually can say, oh, yeah, I've had a go at shotgun shooting. OK, it wasn't for me, but I had a go. That's great. But imagine those people who do fall in love with it and go, OK, I want to go again, because we do have to increase levels of participation at all levels, whether, that, you know, all disciplines all you know, game, air rifle, rifle um, to actually make a big difference on a, on a bigger scale. 
I yeah. couldn't couldn't agree more. And we, I've always said, I'm pretty sure we've always said on this pod that uh, that that shooting is as strong as the number of people participating in it. And, yeah. and when you look at ev- everything down to like how they're dealing with firearm and licensing, uh, a shotgun certificate renewals and things like that, uh, just just the number of people owning guns for for these sorts of purposes not it's not the same argument as it, as it is in the US but it's so important that we get people taking part right from the start and then going all the way through if we can mm. um because that's that's one of our biggest li- biggest lives at events so i i just want to go back a stage to 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 olympic track because i've seen this and i i've watched it on tv but can you just explain for for those of us that maybe even i haven't actually done it just just give us a bit of an insight into olympic track yeah i can i can certainly try to um <laughs> so first and foremost please also you know search for it in youtube and watch some um, olympic trap finals because i might not do this for any justice by trying to explain it to you but olympic trap is basically it's a trench that's dug into the ground and there are 15 um traps you know sunk into this trench um you'll have five pegs set about 10 meters behind them and in front of each peg, you'll have three traps. You'll have a left, a straight and a right. So when you stand on your peg and you call for the target, you don't know which one you're going to get. And then you'll shoot your target. You'll wait for the next person next to you to shoot. And then you'll move on in, in a sequence like you would in other clay disciplines. But within, within Olympic trap, we have different schemes. So we have nine different schemes that you can shoot. And all of the targets will be set to various heights and angles. Um, so we'll have targets which are set up to three meters, um, 45 degree targets. Some of them will be zero degree targets. And you really you don't know which one that you're you're going to get. It really is potluck. Um, and some people can count them. So you won't know what you're going to get for the first 20. But if you've had two rights on peg one um, and you've had two lefts, you'll know that you'll get a straight for your last target so people do work it out but if you do confuse yourself then it can be a very very tricky thing to rectify <laughs> so it's it's interesting because it's kind of standardized but there's that element of randomness I don't even yeah. know if that's a real word but um but but so it's not just a question of shooting the same thing over and over again you do have to react and yeah uh, respond to the thing that comes out yeah yeah you do have to have good reactions i, I really didn't didn't appreciate olympic trap was quite like this uh because one of my main gripes with clay shooting in general is it's too it's, it's a bit like golf which i also do quite a bit of which is just it's just there's lots of the same and i i hate standing there and then playing a shot or having a shot at a clay knowing exactly where it's going to come from and things like that i i don't know why i've never tried this or done more of this because this is exactly what i think would take you know a bit more of the excitement out it's what george and i were referring to recently <laughs> yeah we'll definitely get you converted to the dark side don't worry <laughs> um yeah it's it's really something you 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 do have to react to i mean the the targets are traveling you know they do cover 76 meters and they're probably doing about 65 miles per hour out of the trap um so they are they're you know relatively quick they are going a set of knots george, george wouldn't have a hope at this Oh, I'm quite good at snap shooting. It all goes wrong when I have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw when I was flicking through your Instagram posts that um, Clay's Bar in London is one of your sponsors. Yeah. I, I had to give him a mention because it's quite an innovative concept, isn't it? It definitely is. We've been dying to go there. Our office is in London. Uh, go and tell everyone about that. 
It's absolutely incredible. So the founder, Tom, his background is in um, renewable energy. And he went to a solar farm or a wind farm down in Somerset. And um, the, the guy who owned it also had a shooting simulator. So they were invited to have a go at it. And he thought, wow, you know, this is really fun. Imagine if we did this in London, um, but introduced alcohol, basically. So he had this wild idea and wow, does it work? Um, so Clay's is a cocktail bar in Moorgate, uh, 55 Moorgate, if you want to go. It features 12 shooting pegs in, in, in a cocktail bar and they use decommissioned coughs with four metre by two metre screens. And the pegs are filled with um, cameras and the barrels of the coughs have got little LED lights drilled into them. So the cameras will track the mm. movement based on those uh, lights to sub-millimetre accuracy. And it is accurate. You do have to give them leads. You do have to treat them as real targets because they are, again, traveling at a rate of knots and do simulate sporting shooting incredibly well, incredibly well. And they will catch you off guard, especially if you've had a couple of cocktails prior to starting. <laughs> well, it, it's everything that Edna, our previous correspondents, wouldn't be happy with, but it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think because it's in such a different setting, it is very different. It's such a fun night out. And I think for me, the, the best thing that it offers is visibility when it comes to shooting, because there are so many people who would never, ever even contemplate going, you know, shooting in real life, whether that's game or clay. But after work, it, it's a bar. It's, you know, competitive socializing is becoming ever more popular. Um, and people don't see it as taking part in a sport. They see it as drinks after work or a work night out. and there have been so many people um, since they opened in November who have been back week in, week out, wanting to have a go at shooting. And a lot of them have, you know, gone on to have a go at shooting in real life. And they've, um, they're really working hard with clay shooting grounds to um, put up prizes. So if you win their, you know, latest competition, you will win a day with me at Holland and Holland. Oh, that's cool. Um, wow. Which is fortunate or unfortunate that they'll have to decide but they are they are doing a lot to support the sport which is something I'm really passionate about I'm not surprised it's worked you only have to look at the sort of success of bounce the table tennis one and flight club the 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 darts one and also in London you know it's the same sort of concept just different sport uh, yeah. and they've been great fun I've always got to mention cricket at least twice in every podcast <laughs> you know there's a cricket one as well where you can really? go and have a net I've done the golf yeah. one as well. I cricket. Where's that? There's there's two or three of them. There's one in London. There's one in Manchester. Yeah. And yeah, you've got the sort of bowling machine thing, and they play a video of Jimmy Anson coming in at you, and then you get points for hitting certain bits at the back of the net. Office party done. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we, we've got to go to Clay's as well. Ironically, our designer posted it in our Slack chat uh, uh, yesterday. Been like, has anyone been here? <laughs> it's uh, it's good to see it going down well. Um, so yeah, very exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. Yes. I just wanted to sort of bring in two things that we were talking about before. The first is the discipline that you shoot, which is Olympic trap. And the second is the uh, is female participation in shooting. I came to your event at the game fair on the Basque stand. And I think I remember you saying that, is it Olympic double trap that's in danger of being dropped from the Olympics because there's not enough ladies involved? Is that right? Uh, it was dropped after 2016. To tie into that, you've just bought the uh, Shotgun and Chelsea Bung Club. So, Okay, so first of all, for those who don't know what it is, can you tell people what it is? 
but um, then also explain um, how that ties in with, I guess, what you might call your mission, for want of a better word, to, to try and reverse that trend, if at all possible. Yeah, absolutely. So the Shotgun and Chelsea Bun Club, first and foremost, uh, is a ladies shooting club. Um, it was established in 2011 by a lady called Victoria Knowles-Lax, who fell in love with shooting and our sport and couldn't find any women to go shooting with. So she invited all of her friends and bribed them with cake, hence the name, the Shotgun and Chelsea Bun Club. That was their bribe to get them along. Um, and people caught wind of these events and decided, oh, I'd like to have a go at that. I'd like to come for a shoot and then a, a bit of a catch up and tea and cake. Um, and it, it turned into a bit of a monster over the years um, in terms of events and membership. And um, I was very fortunate that after COVID, it came up for sale. And it's something that has always aligned with my mission, um, which is one of which is um, to help increase levels of participation, um, specifically within women, but as a rule of thumb in general across both male and female. It has always, it's driven a lot of what I have spoken about at events in terms of motivational talks and when I'm educating people about why shooting as a sport is important. Um, and I do talk a lot about double trap. So for a, a bit of background on that um, and why female participation is so important. The female discipline of double trap was taken out of the Olympic program after Athens 2004 because there wasn't enough women taking part. The male discipline was removed after Rio in 2016 because there wasn't a female discipline, because, of course, then it didn't fit in with their equality policy. Now, we were never given the opportunity to reintroduce the women's discipline. They just cut it completely. And there are so many women who shoot both Olympic skeet and Olympic trap over every every country that's involved with shooting have all said that they would have taken up double trap just to keep that discipline involved in the Olympic program. So I am really, really passionate about making sure that that never, ever happens again. We won't lose any more disciplines due to lack of female participation, nor participation across, you know, across the board. Um, but that was a real driver behind me taking on the Shotgun and Chelsea Bun Club. Um, so as a club, they have introduced over 22,000 women to clay shooting so far. Wow. Yeah, it's no mean feat. And it's my goal to help women continue to get involved with the sport, but also to help women take the next step within their shooting. Um, so I was very, very fortunate that I had a pathway carved out for me by the people that kind of almost talent spotted me, so to say. Um, and there are so many women who aren't in the same position as me. They didn't have the same opportunities or the same experience. And I'm really, really keen to help create those opportunities for other women who might not otherwise have them. I feel like there's a lot of women competing and, you know, trying to get into the coaching aspect or even even loading who feel like they would like to take it more seriously, but they don't know how to, and they're not sure that they would be taken seriously. But for me, I've been very, very fortunate that every man I've ever come across within shooting has been incredibly supportive and bent over backwards to help me and my journey, help me get to the places um, that I've, I've wanted to be. Almost sometimes, you know, to a detrimental effect if they don't 
always know what they're talking about but they're just so <laughs> desperate to help that they they want to they want to give you some information so you do have to grow a thick skin and and really sieve out what you know is valuable than what isn't quite so valuable but I think you do have to be a certain type of person to be able to believe in your voice and continue to use it and support other people um and I do think that there are so many women involved with our sport and Claire Sadler is one of them she is an absolutely incredible lady she's the vice chair of Basque for those who don't know um and she has done so much for me and for the Shotgun and Chelsea Bun Club um, and she was, you know, the fighting force behind the um, the relaunch at the game fair, which was absolutely incredible. But we need to do more to kind of use our voices and shout about, um, you know, getting more women involved. And, you know, as athletes and as coaches, and that's one thing that I really, really do want to do. So, so presumably you've got events lined up and all sorts, and you're essentially looking for people to go on and join you at those events, ladies. Yeah, so um, it's a membership-based business um, and our members will get a whole heap of benefits from discounts at events to discounts off cartridges, off some shooting grounds, off outfitters, uh, businesses like that. But we're also creating a progression pathway. Um, So if you want to get into clay shooting, just have a go. Perfect. You know, we can help support you do that. But if you decide that you want to go on and shoot for your county, for your country, for Great Britain. We will also help you do that. So we will help you connect you with the people um, who will be able to support you, whether that's a county coordinator or um, an organisation. So if you need insurance or you want to be able to shoot a registered competition, that would be CPSA or insurance. You'd want CPSA or Basque or, you know, other providers. Um, Or if you wanted to go on and shoot for Great Britain, you'd need to know British shooting. Um, and the format and the process for all of these different selection shoots, you know, every discipline is different. Every county is different. So it's just about creating a hub for women who are scared to, you know, ask questions that they deem as being stupid. There are no stupid questions, um, but there are some people out there who don't want to ask questions. Um, so, you know, we're creating a, a safe space for them to find out those answers without having to stick your head above the parapet. Um, and with the events, we you know, are now offering a, a range of different events. So um, I'm repackaging the events that have been run previously to Shooting Social. So they're really targeted at people who want to meet like-minded women. They want to you know, fall in love with the sport and learn, but they also want to really enjoy the socialising aspect of the sport. We've also teamed up with um, some of the UK's best female coaches uh, Cheryl Hall is our resident sporting coach and she is she is a sporting hero um, and Katie Porsum who is um, who shot skeet for England um, she again an incredible shot and a fantastic coach um, and they're going to be helping us run a series of have a go days and coaching clinics so I'm targeting each discipline separately with the have a go days so we'll focus on the th- the you know, the core disciplines, so sporting, skeet and trap. But within those disciplines, there are so many variations of um, that we really need to address. So if you go to a sporting, have a go day, you'll have a go at sporting, fit ask, sport trap, compact. And we'll talk you through those, uh, the process behind it, the format, how they work, you'll get to shoot them. And the same with skeet and trap, you'll try all of the trap disciplines, you'll try English skeet, Olympic skeet, skeet doubles, and really, you know, 
educate people about what they are and how they differ. But I never knew that anything existed beyond game and sporting when I first started. Um, and so, again, I just want to open up those doors for people who otherwise would have no clue that these these disciplines existed, because then they can they have the opportunity to fall in love with one and then move on and find a coach, come, you know, come to one of our coaching clinics and get really, really good at that one discipline that they've fallen in love with. Sounds like George and I need to attend one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm sort of dim. I'm sort of dimly aware of fitask and sporting and all these other things, but really, I don't know what the difference is between most of them. I know that there's lots of little technical details and lots of little stylistic things, but yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that most game shots are pretty ignorant of the different disciplines that there are within clay shooting competitive clay shooting there's a there's a hell of a lot to get your head around isn't there yeah absolutely and it can be really really overwhelming I mean you know I'm a professional shooter and if I go to a sporting shoot or um you know anything out of the ordinary for me I forget that you have to take more than one box of cartridges with you or you have to take a kit bag full of water and snacks for the whole day and it's a bit like, oh, what, what is this? This is really strange. Um, so for someone that's just getting started, I can only imagine what they must be thinking. So it's just a way to help people um, really find their feet within it. I can imagine it's going to continue to go from strength to strength because you can absolutely see the way you've described it, the place it has. Yeah, thank you. And someone actually posed a really good question the other day, which was, you know, why ladies shooting? You know, we've, you know, women have worked so hard to get there you know their vote we've worked so hard to be equal why are you segregating now and to that I've always said you know there absolutely shouldn't need to be a place for ladies shooting it should just be shooting you know it was only shooting when I first got got started there were no ladies groups or events that I could go to and you know that's a real shame because I didn't get to shoot with any women and there there were, were some women that were incredibly competitive who potentially saw you as a threat so you weren't always welcome goodness Mm. and that has changed now completely changed which I'm very grateful for but you did have to have a thick skin and I can see why that can be off-putting to women you know as they're entering the different disciplines and so until we're at a point as a sport where we don't need to have lady shooting events then there will always be a place for them because even if um, there's a ladies event or group or club which introduce five women per year to the shooting sport what a huge success you know that's five women who have got into our sport that wouldn't necessarily have got into it otherwise because it's a more uh welcoming um or slightly less daunting environment for them to find themselves having a go at it you know they often feel like women won't be as judgmental in my personal journey i found that that the men who have been involved with my journey have all encouraged me wholeheartedly and there are some women who don't you know fortunately don't get the the same experience so until we can ensure that everyone has a positive welcome you know there will always be a gap for lady shooting events and clubs i completely agree i'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I i understand why someone would raise that in this day and age but i i think that's going too far I think I think you're absolutely right in the way that you summarise. There is a need for it. anything to try and make something more enticing or have options, you know, at least just to try and get people in it. As you said, that's the mission overall. Yeah, um, absolutely. So 
so Georgie, the way that we like to end these podcasts is is with a segment that we call Desert Island Shooting. So so this is imagine that anything to do with shooting and in this instance all clay shooting is about to be banned the next the day after tomorrow and you've got one last day what are you going to do where are you going to go who would it be with uh who would you have with you you know all the rest of it just just money's no object transport's not an issue I mean, our last uh, guest decided that time wasn't an issue either. Yes, he decided that the laws of physics no longer applied for <laughs> 24 hours. Oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> you could do anything you want. What, what, what would you do? Oh, do you know what? That's a very good question. And I feel like I'd like to have more than one option for this. Go, oh, go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no rules. Go for it. Perfect. So first and foremost, um, I would have to say, so it would either have to be Bob Braithwaite or Peter Wilson at London 2012. That would be absolutely incredible to be able to go to such a prolific game. So you're going to go back in time for one of your options. Yeah, you said physics doesn't count, right? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I like, I'm just wondering, George, have we had back in time before? Well, I was thinking the, the only person who has tried to, who suggested something like that, I think it was Mike Robinson said he wanted to go hunting in Africa with Ernest Hemingway, which would definitely require either some sort of um, <laughs> resurrection, resurrection or... <laughs> or time travel. So whether you want to go divine or scientific is one way or the other. Okay, great. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so you're, go, you're going back to London 2012 to recreate that moment. Yeah, we, that's that's fun. I like the idea of that. Well, we'd recreate it to some extent. I obviously I'd want it to be me me winning a gold medal, but <laughs> Pete would be allowed on too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you're so one of your options is that you are going to win a gold medal on your last day. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of, of course. The the second one would actually be um, a day with Annie Oakley. The I think she was nineteen hundred. Oh, the Wild West gunslinger lady. The Wild West gunslinger lady. Her, I think that would be a fabulous day. Well, I think that's one of my favourites. Actually, favourite desert island shooting for for quite a long time. Proper variety, proper ambition. Really nice. I really like it. <laughs> what I really like about the winning, it's the last ever day of shooting of any description, right? So if you win the gold medal, that means you are the champion forever. <laughs> yeah no one can ever take that away from you you are the reigning champion <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean georgina it's been really good fun thank you ever so much for joining us it's been great thank you for having me yeah thank you georgina yeah really good right so before we go as per usual there is one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the highly exclusive and extremely expensive guns on pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by sending us your unpopular opinions or non nominating a shooting hero just send us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode or any future episode we will send you some garters we will be back uh well actually chris and i are both off on holiday for a week or so but we'll be recording again when we come back so there'll be another episode not too long after this one goes out but until then thanks very much for listening and goodbye <laughs> <laughs>